Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Wherever you are, this is the Interpreter's Workshop Podcast. I'm Tim Curry, your host. Here we talk everything sign language interpreting. The ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the sideways of interpreting. If you're a student, a new interpreter, experienced interpreter, this is the place for you. If you want to know more, go to interpretersworkshop.com. Let's start talking interpreting. And now, the quote of the day. A Czech proverb. Male ribi, taki ribi. Even small fish are fish. Today we come to my home place, the Czech Republic. And the proverb speaks to us that even small victories are victories. Even new interpreters are interpreters. A young profession is still a profession. One step at a time, one interpreter at a time. Today we talk with my guest, Philip Mahach, from the Czech Republic. I ask him about the place I'm living to get a perspective from a native. Let's get started. Well, it's been over a year since I started the podcast, and many people are wondering why I haven't talked about the Czech Republic, since that's where I am. So today, finally, finally, we have an interviewee who is from the Czech Republic. He is a sign language interpreter, mostly in community interpreting throughout Prague and other regions in the Czech Republic, of course. He has a bachelor's degree in deaf studies from Charles University in Prague, and he is a board member of the Czech Chamber of Sign Language Interpreters, the national organization of interpreters here in the Czech Republic. So it's my pleasure to welcome Philip Mahach to the podcast. Welcome, Philip. Hi, Tim. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. First, let's learn a little bit about you before we go into the Czech Republic and all of that wonderful stuff. Okay. First, how did you get into the profession and why? Well, uh, <laughs> firstly, I think it was a bit of coincidence because uh, formerly when I decide, was deciding uh, how to or what to study, I wanted to focus on English Czech translation. So I uh, filled up uh, the application to the Institute of Translation Studies at uh, Charles University, mm -hmm. but there were some uh, strange conditions that you always had to choose two programs uh, to be able to study there. So uh, I succeeded. I succeeded to get to the translatology, uh, English-Czech mm -hmm. translatology. And then I was thinking, wow, well, what to study next? And I just uh, read about deaf studies. And it's kind of strange because I've I think I've, I had never met a signer, a native signer uh, before, uh, before I chose <laughs> chose this program. I met some <laughs> deaf people, but mostly mm -hmm. hard of hearing or uh, with uh, some combined disabilities when I was volunteering at high school, but I never met a deaf adult using sign language. Mm -hmm. uh, but it totally got me and it led to it led uh, to a situation where where I gave up studying uh, English translation and uh, focused 
only on uh, Deaf Studies and Sign Language Linguistics uh, at Charles University. And where I got my bachelor's degree there later, and then I started directly uh, a profession. I began interpreting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you attend uh, translatology courses at all, or did you just focus only on deaf studies? Uh, well, first year I tried to combine these uh, busy schedules, uh, studying schedules, <laughs> and try to attend all the all the lectures on both institutes. Mm -hmm. But I found it kind kind of impossible. So later I totally gave up the first program and and focused only on uh, deaf studies and attended as as much uh, as much uh, lectures as possible. But I tried to. Uh, like keep up in contact uh, with uh, English uh, of, of, all throughout my studies. I hope I succeeded. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you learn sign language outside of the university before this or during or? Uh, as I as I mentioned, I never met a deaf signer before uh, before starting uh, mm -hmm. at the university. But during my studies, I attended uh, cor language courses outside uh, outside the building, outside the university, because as uh, the program wasn't focused only on interpreting profession and interpreting mm -hmm. skills, language mm -hmm. skills, but it was kind of like uh, general linguistic, linguistically uh, based. There were only a few lectures of sign language a week so i totally needed more contact and what was very helpful uh was that i had uh about two or three classmates that were native signers that were deaf and it helped me a lot to uh, spend time with them not only uh, not only at the university at the lectures but uh, also a free time where signing was uh more free i would say and <laughs> mm -hmm. as you know we always get uh get this experience and it's very useful in addition to uh basic lecture style uh gathering language so what was it that attracted you to this it, you say it, you kind of got hooked on it but what was mm -hmm. it that that gave you that that goal to become an interpreter well uh <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky one. Uh, I always loved. I've always loved uh, languages uh, in general. I I love the learning. I, I love learning uh, different systems of languages, mm -hmm. and I loved uh, English, German, Spanish, and also uh, Czech linguistics. So I think the first thing that uh, that amazed me was a different kind of functioning that sign language is uh, is functioned differently in different modes but when i continued with my studies uh and i learned that this something like a sign language interpreter i was totally amazed by it and i think uh for me when i started to train to be interpreter or mm -hmm. started to uh gather some experience I think uh, the thing that was the most appealing, maybe, was that as a child, I had problems or issues uh, with explaining myself uh, properly, uh, saying what I want to say, really. And mm -hmm. while you're interpreting, you have only a limited time to do it. So uh, I think these are uh, these kinds of uh, kinds of uh, <laughs> 
maybe uh, exercises were the best and mm. and then i just fell in love into the world of the deaf and w the world of uh, sign language uh, in general mm. Mm. so how long have you been working as a sign language interpreter yeah <laughs> while preparing for this interview i was counting and uh, it's been six years now six years uh, uh -huh. yeah yeah i've worked since uh 2017. okay yeah six years when you were first starting uh did you have this image in your head what a sign language interpreter would be doing uh on a day-to-day -day <laughs> basis and did that image match that experience that you have now <laughs> okay i'd say it partly matched because fortunately although my studies weren't focused only on interpreting i was lucky to have some interpreting experience through my studies like the how to say it in english uh i wasn't a professional but uh, i was a trainee let's say maybe mm -hmm. so i got into some uh some daily situations of uh, of deaf people as a trainee and tried to interpret for them and for their uh hearing uh hearing partners as well that's the reason i think that i had some ideas <laughs> of how it might work mm -hmm. but surely i uh, had no ideas about uh, working conditions and stuff like that these practical mm -hmm. parts of of the profession mm -hmm. so and also the most experience i had during my studies were from the school settings so uh this mm -hmm. community uh, as i am uh, a community interpreter uh, now there was some just just a few situation i was uh, in so uh that's something i learned maybe during <laughs> during <laughs> during the profession uh, or during working as an interpreter as i began mm -hmm. yeah well that's good so you're working only between czech and czech sign language as an interpreter i am i am uh maybe sometime someday <laughs> i will i will add uh spoken english as my c language mm -hmm. uh but uh these uh, these situations are only occasional uh because i'm not interpreting i'm not working at the university uh so mm -hmm. stuff like uh, lectures or some conferences isn't my uh daily work so i'm mostly working between czech sign language and czech and is that comparable to the Czech Republic? Do we only use Czech sign language here or uh, are, is there another variation or anything like that? Uh, mostly we do and correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong, but last year when the war in the Ukraine started, uh, there were many immigrants, deaf uh, Ukrainian immigrants coming to the Czech Republic. So we need to adjust to the situation, accommodate. And now we're maybe it's a good experience, but uh, yeah, it's a good experience because we're uh, working more uh, in teams with deaf interpreters working not only from Czech sign language to Czech sign language for, for people, for example, with uh, some mental issues, but also working between two sign languages, two national sign languages. Mm -hmm. So I would say Ukrainian sign language is also a language that we're working with mm -hmm. not me personally because i don't know the language but i cooperate and i team with uh deaf interpreters who do mm -hmm. do you want to say anything about moravian sign differences or 
Well, I don't know the differences. I, I don't know many differences. I've seen them mostly for colors and <laughs> and uh, some basic basic signs for animals and stuff like that. But I remember my first experience when I got in touch with Moravian like variation of Czech Sign Language because uh, it's in Czech Republic that's not uh, sign language uh, itself as it were like Moravian Sign Language. But I remember my first visit to i would say it, it was university or maybe a high school where uh, deaf students uh were mm. uh were taught were studying there was a deaf i think there was a deaf teacher explaining something to us as a it was i think it was my first year at the university and the teacher was explaining something to us and i thought i am able to understand uh deaf teachers <laughs> at that point of time point of my studies and i was totally unable to understand them <laughs> like like the teacher yeah. from the moravian uh moravian high school yeah but later later i just tried to accommodate it to some differences some minor differences and i also worked uh in east uh, bohemia in Hradec Králové and mm -hmm. as uh, an interpreter in educational settings where i found it as a mixture maybe of czech variations and moravian variations as there were many children studying uh from from moravia actually mm -hmm. so i might got <laughs> i might have got used to it uh, more <laughs> during my first yeah the very first year of my uh career actually yeah now let's then talk a little bit more about the czech republic in general get some background for us okay what is approximately the ratio of interpreters to deaf in the Czech Republic or about how many sign language users are in the Czech Republic, those that use uh, Czech sign language? Mm -hmm. It's uh, well, the estimate is hard to get uh, actually in the Czech Republic. But two years ago, I think there was a census if is the right word like counting of like demographic information mm -hmm. about people about people living in the Czech Republic and I looked at it that only a thousand and five hundred people added Czech sign language as their first language as their mother language but the estimate is much higher you said 1500 yeah okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, I was kind of surprised what is the estimate yeah the estimate as I learned it and studied it is about seven to ten thousand deaf people signing actually mm -hmm. but yeah i think i think the issue with the census is that uh there were many possibilities and mm -hmm. it's a voluntary to like nobody nobody controls what languages do add there and do mm -hmm. click them uh there so uh i don't think it's uh valuable uh to this kind of ratio Mm -hmm. But let's say let's say seven to ten thousand deaf people signing, I'd say, and it goes to about. Well, uh, there's no national register of sign language interpreters in the Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. uh, so, as I'm as I know, we have about a hundred sign language interpreters actively working, actively interpreting on some mm -hmm. kind of level. Yeah. So it's quite uh, the ratio would be quite. Um, uh, unbalanced let's say <laughs> yes and the okay. demand the, the demand is like getting higher and higher mm -hmm. as i as i know so not unlike most countries then yeah yes <laughs>
Do you enjoy listening to interpreters from around the world? Me too. Please consider supporting the podcast. Your support in a one-time donation or a monthly donation will help me pay for the monthly fees and the annual fees to pay for the software and the websites that I use to produce each episode. Click on the links in the show notes or the buttons on the website. Thank you very much. Now, let's go back. So, how do interpreters get work? Are you working freelance or are you hired by a company or an agency? How how does that work? Mm-hmm. It was kind of funny uh, when I started, when I began interpreting my Maybe it's connected to the ideals that we that we talked <laughs> talked about, because my ideal was that I would be working as a freelancer, as a freelance interpreter, uh, cooperating with interpreting agencies, as it's common in uh, spoken languages, mm-hmm. spoken language interpreting and translating, and uh, that's not the case at all, <laughs> because of financing and so on. So in the Czech Republic, there are like um different ways uh, maybe different it it always depends on the on the settings uh, you're interpreting in uh on the situations you're interpreting in mm-hmm. uh me personally uh, i'm uh, i'm interpreting as a community interpreting in uh, social settings in social services so i'm an employee i'm employed uh by the organizations who serve deaf clients deaf deaf people who need interpreting so i'm Mm -hmm. not booked directly by my clients uh but through the organizations and the coordinators of uh, of that Mm -hmm. and the uh, and the organization is funded by uh by government or a ministry But uh, there are other uh, organizations similar to my or similar to the organization I work in. And sometimes the system is quite different in terms of uh, booking. Sometimes clients are uh, booking, interpreting directly. They are communicating directly with interpreters who actually meet them in the situation, mm-hmm. who actually actually do the assignment. So it, it, that okay. might be one situation, but yeah. educational settings are kind of different because there are interpreters directly employed employed at schools mm-hmm. and they're paid from different budget different different uh, kind <laughs> of budget uh, from government as well okay but uh, so it's in some in some ways that might be similar so are the educational interpreters are they interpreting in a mainstream school or in a deaf school or where where is that uh, well when i was interpreting uh, Uh, in educational settings, I was employed by a school for for the deaf mm-hmm. and uh, hard of hearing. But I know some colleagues who were working actually in some kind of uh, inclusive settings, mm-hmm. which means that, uh, for example, there was one deaf child uh, studying high school, uh, like the uh, yeah the, the high school for for hearing people. Mm-hmm. So it's more common for interpreters to work in the deaf and hard of hearing school rather than in the mainstream schools i'd say it still is uh, more common yeah yeah, yeah. but okay. it might change in the future i i think okay so were you interpreting for all levels all grade levels or R- right i was mostly i was interpreting at the high school level mm-hmm. or uh, or occasion occasionally at the university level mm-hmm. 
but to be honest, I don't know the case where interpreting for children on the like the elementary school level is uh, common in the Czech Republic. I don't think it is the case because uh, teachers working at this level of education are usually how to rephrase that. It's better if the teachers working at elementary schools are actually using sign language on some kind of level and, and have the direct contact uh, with their students they're teaching. So uh, mostly mm-hmm. mostly we are interpreting at high schools and at the universities. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. You mentioned earlier that you graduated with deaf studies degree and became an interpreter, started working as an interpreter. And you said there's no national registry of interpreters. Do you have a testing for interpreters after university or is there some type of requirement for interpreters to work as an interpreter? Well, uh, it's not. (laughs) It's not yet. Uh, We'd like to have it. We'd like to have the Mm -hmm. set of uh, tests that would prove the level of of maybe language competences. Mm -hmm. And it's Actually, it's in in progress, but it it will take time. It will take years to establish that. Mm -hmm. Something that has already been done is are the levels descriptions like the how is it said? uh, It's it's called the framework of reference for sign languages. So it's Mm -hmm. something that's already uh, prepared for make the test make the test themselves. So. yeah, I think it's something that would be in progress in the Czech Republic for uh, a few years, I hope, but yeah. <laughs> maybe more. Mm-hmm. We'll see. So uh, basically, when I graduated uh, from from the uh, when I got my uh, bachelor's degree, I had linguistics education, uh, mm-hmm. maybe education fo- with some interpreting specialization, but more focused on linguistics, mm-hmm. uh, philology, maybe. Uh, and deaf studies, uh, deaf studies as well, but I have no certificate of an sign language interpreter. It's mm-hmm. nothing, nothing like this is common in the Czech Republic now, sadly. Okay. The requirements differ from organization to organization, or maybe the situations we mentioned before, if you are interpreting in the commu- for the community or mm-hmm. your educational interpreter, or you're interpreting for courts, police, and, and, mm-hmm. and situations like that. Okay. It, it varies. It varies from like organization or for what ministry you're, you're working from or who's paying you. Yeah, I, I think the aspect of money and where to get, <laughs> where to get it is uh, very important in, <laughs> in, this, <laughs> in these requirements. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Do you have experience, say, seeing interpreting outside the Czech Republic? And can you compare those two between outside and inside? Mm-hmm. For me, it's kind of hard to compare it because I I've visited some um, some events like conferences and mm-hmm. uh, and meetings of uh, sign language uh, interpreting students and stuff like that. So 
From that point of view, I have some experience seeing team interpreting where many sign languages, many national sign languages, uh, international sign, mm -hmm. spoken English and other spoken national languages are involved. Uh, I've seen it, but I have no experience, for example, from schools, uh, community interpreting. So it's kind of hard to compare it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the situation in the Czech Republic is would be would be kind of similar to our our closest neighbors like Slovakia, Slovenia, maybe as well. Mm -hmm. But I've never been there for a sufficient time to <laughs> to to have the experience of it. <laughs> yeah. So here in the Czech Republic, what does uh, ongoing education for interpreters? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. From my point of view, I'm kind of lucky that I'm working in social settings because this uh, field is quite quite saturated <laughs> by ongoing education. But uh, usually, it's usually these courses are focused more on maybe social services in general, mm -hmm. and it's getting better now. But I remember when I began as as a community interpreter, there were only a few only a few courses focused more on sign language interpreting in that kind of uh, settings mm -hmm. uh, and dealing with for example dealing with uh, some experience sharing experiences uh, among colleagues it wasn't it wasn't kind of common it's getting better now i think mm -hmm. as more courses are off, are being offered and uh, i'm lucky i'm lucky i'm working there in that kind of settings because uh my employer for example allows me to attend language courses as well mm -hmm. it's not paid uh 100 percently but yeah. uh, it's donated let's say <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> so mm. it's it's good it's good uh but from my experience for example uh, while i was uh while i was interpreting at high school uh, as an educational interpreter it was like more difficult to get to interesting courses and useful courses for my uh, for my job. Mm -hmm. I think social services are in a better situation now uh, compared to other settings uh, sign language interpreters are working in. Mm -hmm. So is there a requirement for ongoing education uh, nationally? It is. Uh, it is for social services. Uh, absolutely. There are about, let's say, 24 hours a year, which is kind of little i'd say but yeah still something it's still something it's good yeah. and maybe the yeah maybe this demand or this requirement uh this legal requirement is maybe the reason why the situation is quite good quite sufficient mm -hmm. uh compared to others because i don't think nowadays uh educational interpreters from from the like the law focusing on education and school mm -hmm. are required to have to have ongoing education i don't think it's the case uh it is in legal settings nowadays uh interpreters are required to have some some amount of ongoing education i don't know how mm -hmm. much because i'm not an interpreter for the court mm -hmm. so i'm not sure how many is, or how much is it but I know uh, I'm familiar with the requirements of uh, social services, and it's these 24 hours. Speaking with Philip made me think back to when I started. What was my why? What was the reason that I became an interpreter? What was yours? 
What was the first thing that made you think, wow, this is it. This is what I want to do. Or this is why I want to do it. Answering that question brings back memories for us of those first mentors, those guides to the language, to the communities that we're entering into, and the guide into the profession. It could have been our fellow classmates, our family members, or our close friends. Someone who thought to take our hand and lead us as we took those first steps on this journey. The demand for interpreters in every country is very high. The numbers of interpreters is usually low. But every year there are new interpreters, but we never seem to catch up. Sometimes it's because of burnout, sometimes because last generation is retiring, many different reasons. But I would urge all of us to share your passion, to maybe look to someone who might have a reason why, a reason to get involved in the interpreting profession. Maybe you can be a mentor to them, a guide to lead them in the direction that will be fulfilling for them. Philip is not a new interpreter. He has been interpreting now for six years. He has learned, he has grown, and has a lot of optimism for the profession here in the Czech Republic. Now, a few things he mentioned I would like to point out. One, he mentioned the census that asked people to check off if they used sign language. Others have said the same thing. For some reason, the census forms are flawed. They do not seem to work well as a method of calculating how many in our communities need sign language in their lives. I'm not sure how we can fix that. If you know of a method which is better, that is a little bit more accurate, please send me a voicemail, send me an email, contact me, and perhaps you can tell the rest of us. He also mentioned CEFR, C-E-F-R, the Common European Framework of Reference for Languages. Most spoken languages here in Europe have a detailed description showing the different levels that one can attain in their fluency in that language. Here in the Czech Republic, we have finished the framework for Czech Sign Language. And I think this will be a wonderful tool to have some type of target testing for those educators, for example, in elementary level at the deaf schools to make sure that those teachers do have the fluency to teach deaf and hard of hearing children. It can also be a tool to check if someone has the competencies to enter a university program for interpreting or one of the tests used for interpreter competencies. This is a great development for Czech Sign Language and the deaf community. And the last point is an interesting idea. Ongoing education here in the Czech Republic is focused on the settings in which the interpreter is working. As the examples Philip gave, social service work, legal or court interpreting, those two areas are connected to laws here in the Czech Republic 
which are financed through the corresponding ministries, those ministries require an amount of education every year. And therefore, the interpreters who wish to work in those areas must have ongoing education through those areas. It's an interesting way to think about ongoing education. However, as Philip said, a lot of the topics that are covered in the trainings and the workshops and so forth for social services, for example, are based on social services rather than interpreting and the needs for interpreters in those settings. And that makes sense from the ministry's point of view. However, from our point of view, we know that we need more. And that's what Philip was alluding to, is that it is improving, and the organization that he works for is supplementing his education in that way. I hope this episode has given you something to think about on your way to catching those small fish. So keep calm, keep reeling in the interpreting. I'll see you next week. Take care now.